This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. I don't know, how many of you guys are parents in here of, of teenagers, lots of you, right? Here's what we know if you're a parent of a teenager. You are in a battle to disciple your children, and your battle is between TikTok, right, social media, Snapchat, uh, LA culture, and, and us. And it's been, a, it's been a slog. I mean, I, I meet with Eric about once a month, and we talk a lot about how it is parenting kids in this culture. And so the question is, is what are we going to do about it? Uh, for the last few years, we've lamented, we've, we've, we've stressed about it, we've prayed about it, but it's time that we do something about it. And we've got a guest here tonight who has spent the last decades of his life in ministry to teens, and God has really given him a strategy and a plan that we want to share with you and to see if it resonates with you like it resonates with me, that we are not going to go asleep at the wheel when we've got an entire generation hanging in the, in the balance. Do you, you, you know what I mean, right? Now, the first time I met this guy, his name is Ron Luce. Uh, this is what I looked like when I first met him. I was 16 years old. Drink that in. Now, here's what I know. If you, uh, if you guys know my son, uh, that looks like him in a weird way, right? Because here's the thing. He got those curls for free. Well, not free. How much did it cost at the hospital to give birth to him? So those curls cost like 10 grand on him. For me, they cost seven bucks in a, in a box perm in 1987. And that was Guatemala. And if you have never preached the gospel dressed as Satan, you've not lived. <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> it's crazy talk. Um, so that was me. We got to, uh, we, we did skits. I spent almost, a, I don't know, six to eight weeks in Guatemala that year, and then got to do it again. Uh, Ron went on to found something called Acquire the Fire that had literally millions. See what I'm saying? Do I not look amazing? Like I'm listening to Kiss Records and Satan at the same time? Um, Ron went on to literally influence millions of, of students across the world that are now millennials. A lot of them are. And God has put something on his heart that he's going to share with us tonight. So would you welcome Ron Luce? Wow, here are the hardcore people, right? Interrupt your wonderful Saturday afternoon to come and seek God together. Sunday, this is Sunday. What day am I? I was a Catholic for a second. Saturday night. And uh, so welcome. Good to see you. How many um, are young people in the room? All those old people lifting their hand. How many are actually under 20 years old? Let me see your hand. Okay. How many young in heart? All those old people lifting their hands again. Good. And, uh, and how many of you can remember, those of you that are young in heart, um, when you came to Christ, were you, that you were young? How many of you were young when you came to Christ, whether a child or a teenager? Look at most of the room here. And that kind of jives with all the, the data that we found. So uh, anyways, I thought I would just take a minute to let you get to know me. And uh, I grew up in California. Not proud of it, but it wasn't my choice. I was born there. And uh, any Californians here? I heard there's a whole bunch of transplants out this way. And uh, I got out of there as quick as I could uh, when I was um, 15, uh, well 18. I went to go to school in Oklahoma. But I grew up going to, uh, we were a good church going family, a good Christian family. Parents divorced, remarried three different times, three different people. Good Christian family. We went to every dead, dry, boring, pathetic, regurgitated, petrified kind of church or thing that called itself a church in California. They were like funeral services every Sunday morning. How many know what I'm talking about? Like the funeral dirge, you know, I'm looking around who died this weekend, you know, and this kind of, everybody looked so old. Most uh, somebody must have died. And um, I felt like I was going to jail every Sunday. I hated it. I felt like, what did I do to deserve this? In fact, one church I went to was so dead, you have to ask. It sounds like a joke. This is not true. This is really true. The ushers had made polls. And at the end of the poll, somehow they'd figured out a way, I got loud, to um, put a tennis ball at the end of this poll. And they would patrol the aisles during the sermon, looking for anybody that would nod off. And if you nodded off, they'd take that pole 
and they'd reach out and push your head back up with that little ball. Now, you know you're going to do a dead church if you got ushers with poles patrolling the aisles. Pastor Darren. <laughs> so that was my, my wonderful Christian background. So I ran away from my mom to go find my dad when I was 15. My dad gave me some great advice that first night. He said, son, if you're going to try any of that marijuana, you be sure and bring it home so we can all try it together. Good California parenting right there. And, and I'm thinking, I have the coolest dad in the world. And I remember the good book said you're supposed to obey your parents, right? So selective obedience kicked in, and I uh, felt obligated. I brought it home. Him and me and my stepmom would smoke and get high, and, and I, my, I'd become a party animal and for my 15, 16-year-old uh, years. And then a friend invites me to church. And this is a church I'd never been to. In fact, on the way in, he said, I hope you're used to the churches where people lift their hands. I go, lift their hands? Do they have questions or something? And he like tried to explain. He goes, I'll just come inside. So I go inside, and these people are like singing and crying and, and like, like passionate, you know, and they look like they had plugged their finger into like a light socket there. It's a soul full of like, like smileys and um, sparkles and everything. I'm like, what happened to these people, you know? And they kept singing and singing and singing. And it was very passionate. I couldn't understand what they were singing, but it was, sounded like love songs because they were so passionate. And I thought, these people are singing love songs, and they were kind of looking up, like from the back, they're like looking up like this, and I'm, who are they looking at? And I thought they were singing, looking at their pastor. I thought they were singing love songs to their pastor. I thought, man, these people love their pastor. And they keep loving him and loving him, we get it. And then I finally looked at the screen and there were songs, words on there about Jesus. I thought, these people are singing to God, these poor people. They think God can hear them when they sing. And then something flashes through my brain. I wonder if he can. Isn't that wild? I went to church my whole life. It never even crossed my mind that Jesus might be able to hear us when we sing. So the preacher got up. He's the first sermon, uh, preaches the first sermon I ever heard in English. You know, um, every sermon, anything I'd ever heard was had lots of these and thous and sounds like somebody from England and I didn't understand one word, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Christianese. And... Um, this guy's using normal words to talk about Jesus in the Bible. I'm like, this is great. This is amazing. No one had to like twist my arm. I, I'm a total raw heathen, but no one had to like, you need to, like, I'm in. This is good news. So I started my life, get on fire. It's the end of my junior year of high school. And, uh, and I just marched back in my school to try to tell all my friends the good thing that had happened to me. But how many of you ever tried to talk about the Lord when you didn't know what you were talking about? Well, it's okay. Even if you don't know what you're talking about, it's okay because what, what has happened to us is transformation, right? And, and sometimes it's hard to wrap words around that. And if you don't really know how to explain it with the Bible and everything, just trying to explain it conveys something to them. Like, okay, this dude's not the same. And my friends are like, what happened to you, man? I'm trying to I'm talking about Jesus, blood getting on everybody. And they're like, dude, what is wrong with you? And so um, I said, just come to church. The guy that speaks English, he'll, he'll explain it to you. So anyways, um, that's a little bit about me. Uh, my background, I got on fire, stayed on fire, went off to go to Oral Roberts, found my wife there. Actually, I found her boyfriend first. And, uh, and uh, he kept bragging, you know, she, my girlfriend's so beautiful. She's so godly. I'm like, I need to meet her. And uh, <laughs> then I did meet her and I agreed, you know, and got him out of the way. I got the girl. Now it's 39 years later and I still got the girl and we have three kids now that are, that are all grown. So are we friends yet? So this evening, for the few minutes we have here together, I'd like to just engage your imagination to dream a little bit about the church of the future, conduit church of the future, the church of the future in America, the church of the, the world. The last several years I've spent traveling around the world researching churches that are truly remarkable on a number of different fronts. They're worth remarking about for several reasons because they're being very successful in ways that I could find no churches in America successful. Now, I've been doing youth ministry for a number of decades, filling up arenas and stadiums weekend after weekend after weekend, seeing, by the grace of God, millions of young people come to events and so many thousands come to Christ and all of this. 
But in spite of all of that, working, we literally worked with 100,000 churches across America over those years. 100,000 churches. Never saw anything like what I just learned about these last five years. I'm going to share with you. Because we were getting kids, lots of young people on fire, young, young passionate teenagers on fire. I, mean, I got on fire when I was young. You guys got on fire when you were young. I thought, we got to go get them when, they're, when the harvest is ripe. But I never saw the dramatic transformation of how churches think and engage young people so that they stay healthy spiritually for the long haul until these last few years. And in spite of all the work that we did with millions of young people, as well as all the other youth pastors and youth leaders and, and youth ministries and parachurch organizations and, and CDs that were written and you know uh, downloads that happened and podcasts and all that, in spite of all of that stuff for young people, we're still reaching less and less of each generation for Christ. So remember that definition of insanity? Just keep doing the same thing and hope something different happens. It seems like we've been doing that for like 40 or 50 years in, in the church in America. So that sent me on this journey. And I want to take you there with me several places around the world and just discuss. Because what we found is that these churches are so remarkable. They're doing some things very distinct. It's not rocket science, but it's very specific. And they've synchronized what they're doing so they have exponential results. So how many have a good imagination? I need to engage your imagination here tonight. Um, imagine about six months from now, you come to church, five o'clock service. You decided to get here early to grab some coffee and hang out. And you, when you get here on Sunday afternoon at 430, because you want to come early, um, you see dozens of small groups of young people all over the stairs and the front lobby and they're inside, they're outside and they're in small groups and they're praying for each other and tears are running on their face. They got their Bibles open and, and they're sharing with each other and, and, and opening up their hearts. They're like, what is going on? And you walk inside and there's dozens more groups, several hundred young people at church hasn't even started yet. What are these, what is wrong with these people? Why are they here? There's no service going on, but you look closer and you see young people that are just a year or two older than them leading these groups in ministry and in prayer. And you're thinking, what's happening? And then they, the five o'clock service starts on the Sunday afternoon and they're like the first ones in here because they want to be up in the front and they're worshiping and they're weeping and they're encountering God and they can't wait for the pastor to share and preach no matter how intense he's preaching. They're the first ones that want to repent. Can you imagine that? So it's a good problem to have. I've seen it with my eyes all around the world. I've seen it in South America, Bogota. I've seen it in Asia, in Africa. Simply profound and amazing. These remarkable churches that think differently about the next generation. They don't think it's the youth pastor's job. They don't think, oh, it's those youth volunteers' job. They don't even think it's the senior pastor's job. They take it on as a church. We are going down in history, we are going to go after this next generation. We're not just responsible for our age group. We're responsible to get the gospel to the next generation. And it's a conviction that they live with. Everybody gets to be involved. It's not just put more money in the youth ministry. It's let's put all of our hearts into the next generation. So let's read some verses from Jesus. How many of you guys like the words Jesus said? Good. I don't have to change my sermon then. That'd be a whole different sermon. And then we'll see what the Lord has for us here. It's after he rose from the dead. It's his last moments with his disciples after he's resurrected. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Peter replied, you, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, uh, you know I love you then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time. He asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Lord, help us this afternoon. Let us have ears to hear what you're whispering to our souls today. What you were whispering to Peter that day. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Peter, the very first pastor. He's going to lead the first church and the church for all these thousands of years later. He's the first pastor. He's given him his final pastoral training. Now, Peter, I know you're going to be busy. There's going to be a lot of people, got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of miracles going to happen, all this, but I need you to focus, feed the, the lambs. 
and then take care of my sheep, and then feed my sheep. Isn't it interesting that these three times he's addressing those who would follow the Lord, the first group he called lambs, young ones. He said, in all of your busyness, I know you're the pastor, but don't forget about the young ones. Isn't it interesting that naturally, if we do nothing, just at a church, churches all across the world do this, if, you, if you're not intentional about the lambs, the church naturally just gets older and gets older. And without knowing it, this has happened over and over again. I just came back from Asia. For three weeks I was there. Almost every continent in Asia, there was revival 30 or 40 years ago, and now all those churches got really big, and now they're all really old because they didn't focus on the young generation. In South Korea, everybody knows about the big revival that happened there in the 70s and 80s and 90s, but they've closed 10,000 churches in the last 10 years because everybody in those 10,000 churches just died. They got old and died. They closed 10,000 churches. If you don't focus on the next generation, we naturally just get old. So with that kind of in motion, what is the church of the future? What could it look like? Well, part of what um, it led me to turn over stones. Like, how could it be that I work so hard, everybody in America works so hard, but we keep losing more of each generation? Well, part of it is you have to identify what are the systemic issues, the systemic issues that we have to confront and kind of get a hold of in order to change things. So here's some of them. Old babies. Do you know what the old baby syndrome is? You know, people that came to Christ many years ago, and then they've stayed at the same level for decades. They, haven't keep, they don't keep growing. Barna says after two years, people grow two years in Christ, and after that, the rest of their life, they level off for the rest of their life. They never keep growing. Big churches, small churches, all the same. We've got systemic problems. 80% of kids who grow up in church don't come back to church. They say, that's my parents' church. That's not mine. It's my parents' pastor, not mine. We've got the challenge of reaching the young people who actually do belong to the parents who go to the church. How do we get them in? Not to mention reaching the young people outside the church walls. We've got the technology revolution. We know all the culture that's coming to our kids right directly into their minds through their phones. How do you battle that? How do you win on that front? And the aging of the church. So looking at these systemic problems, I just want to show you what we're up against so we can talk about the church of the future, how we can combat that. So the churches we found we're doing just that. They're fighting and winning on these trends. So this is a graph. All the different studies, when they ask each generation which percentage call themselves Christians, you can see what's happened here over these, the World War II generation, 84%, the boomers, 76 Gen X, 67 millennials, 49%. Gen Z is at 38 The reason if there's a question mark is because half of Christians, um, most Christians, most people come to Christ before they're 20, like 90%. But only half of the Gen Zers are over 20, half are under. We can change that 38%. Anybody got some faith here? Yes. Anybody got some faith here? Yes. We're going to have to take some action. But if the trend continues, you can see what's going to happen. Gen Alpha, they're about five years old right now, going to be 26%. And then Gen Beta is going to be even less. Now, we're here today to plan a takeover. We're here today to, to change this trend, to, to disrupt it. Am I, am I talking to the right people here today? Because your pastor, Pastor Darren, said, we got to do something about this. And you know what's really interesting? I know you guys have a missions heart here. I don't know any church like you guys giving all that you guys give to the nations of the world. You know, one of the key principles of missions is you find when you go to a nation, who are the people most open to the gospel? And you go to them first. You don't go to the hardest ones first. You go to the most open first. Well, this is what we have all around the world. In America and around the world, it's those that are under 20 that are most open to the gospel. I'll show you the data in a minute. So these are some of the churches we looked at, and we found their best practices. I'm going to share some of those with you here tonight. What are they doing to defy and disrupt that trend in Philippines and in Bogota, all kinds of places around the world? I took their stories, made case studies out of them, interviewed the leaders, like, what are you doing? How are you doing it? How long have you been doing it? How do you measure it? All that kind of stuff. And I put it in my um, dissertation here in this book called Faith at the Speed of Light. I, we have some copies in the back. Some of you are really geeky kind of people. You want to know the data and the trends. There you go. You're, eat your heart out and read your heart out. So like the great theologian Wayne Gretzky says, when he was asked, how do you win so many games? How do you get so many goals? He goes, I don't skate to the puck. I skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. So tonight, what we want to talk about is how do we get to the kind of church that we want to be? 
in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years. You know, sometimes I think we just sort of like do the same thing and hope for different results. We just need a Jesus movement. We do. But we need to be ready for one, you know? And we just need to pray that God will move. We do, but we need to have some strategy. What are we doing with our time, our sweat, our money, our volunteer hours? And so tonight we're going to talk about this church of the future. What could it look like right here at Conduit, right here in Nashville, right here in America in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years? Like, what could we do? I'm not talking just the youth pastor. You've got an awesome youth pastor. I'm not talking just Pastor Darren. I'm talking about us as a church. What could we do? And it feels like this, I know, sometimes, because we have the wave of culture coming against us, you know, all the influence in, impacting, and we're just barely trying to hold on to our own faith and our own kids in, in Christ. But what if we said, wait, we're not playing defense. We're playing offense. And the waves are coming against us, but we're going to learn to surf the waves of change, the waves of culture and, that are trying to overwhelm us, and we're going to ride them and surf them and, and rescue people while we're not letting the wave overwhelm us. So let me just give you four simple kind of points regarding the church of the future. Number one, the church of the future is focused on growing themselves younger. So this is what the, the, the picture looks like. I can't, I don't have time to go through all of these, but the churches that we found that are remarkable, that are growing themselves younger, this is how they're doing it. Number one, they're training young people to be leaders. I'm talking about 13, 14, 15 year olds to be disciple makers. So they're teaching them to be disciple makers, not when they're out of high school or college. Number two, they're, they're hosting an event a couple times a year. They really go after those most likely to come to Christ. We'll talk about that in a second. Number three, they do something that's very paradoxical. They take them deep in their faith and they take them fast. This is no watered down mamby pamby kumbaya. This is like all for, all for the call, all for Christ, and now we're going to take you even deeper. And so radical becomes normal. How about that, huh? It's not a few radicals. Everybody's radical. This is really amazing. And then number four, they create an ecosystem in the church where all of the young people feel valued because all age groups are there saying, we're here for your success. Spiritually, uh, socially, emotionally, professionally, we're going to help you grow. So imagine this. If there was a law made that said you can't have any children, you and any of your family members can have no children for the next 30 years, what would that do to your family tree? Would it even exist? Well, that's kind of what's happened in the body of Christ. We like stopped having babies, spiritual babies almost stopped. And, and it's happening all over the world. So if you look at how Jesus thought about the young generation, there's evidence that would point to that, that theologians think that at least 11 of the 12 were teenagers of, of the disciples. Imagine that. He put the trust of the whole future of the church into teenagers' hands. He trusted them. He sent things like, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. You're not even sheep yet. You're lambs. You're young into the mission fields. Just like you saw Pastor Darren out there when he was 16 years old. And I know he still takes people all around the world. We took a lot of young people on mission trips because we wanted what happened to your pastor to happen to all of them over the years. You're young, but you can still make a difference. So, but you might be thinking, why should we only focus on like one generation? Of course you're going to talk about young people. You've been preaching to them all these years. Well, Think about what Jesus did in person when he was here, had his earthly ministry. He loved everybody. How many believed he loved everybody? Yes. But he also focused his attention. So he spent more time with the 70 than the crowds. More time with the 12 than the 70. More time with the three than the 12 based on receptivity. So it's possible we can do the same thing. Love everybody in Nashville. Love everybody in Franklin, Murfreesboro, the whole region. Love them all. Treat them with love. But let's focus like a laser. So look at this. Let's give you something to focus on. I can give you lots of data like that. I'm just going to give you one study. International Bible Society. Look at that in red up there. 83% of all people make their commitment to Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. 83%. 83%. Somebody say 83%. Don't ever forget the big purple stick. This is not new data. This is decades old. We know it to be true all around the world. But church people don't know what to do with it. Like, well, that's cool. 
What do I do? First of all, it's hard to get children because maybe vacation Bible school you can get them or sidewalk Sunday school. But how do you get their parents? How do you get them back to be discipled? However, at the upper end of this, 13 and 14-year-olds, they have a little bit of freedom. They have, well, I'm not an adult yet, but I can decide to go to the movies with my friends, the mall with my friends, or church with my friends. I'm thinking, if I'm a 13-year-old, what am I? I'm not a child. I'm not an adult. What am I? And if we're not careful, we'll let social media tell them who they are. So the most important thing is there's this point where they're looking for their identity and they usually get it by who will accept them, what group they can belong to. Is it the cool kids? Is it the druggy kids? Is it the sports kids? Is it this kind of music or that kind of music? Are you, are you following me? They're looking for somebody to belong to. And usually the church is running right by them. 13 years old is the branding age is where all the big brands try to get them to love their Nikes or their chips because they'll buy them the rest of their life. It seems like everybody's going after them except the church. It's sort of like this relay race metaphor that, you know, when you see the Olympics and your, your, the exchange zone, you can only pass it after the, the, the yellow line starts and before here you pass the baton. Well, the exchange zone for the baton of the gospel is 13 to 19 years old. That's when most people will come to Christ that you can get to. There's about 1.8 billion right now around the world in the exchange zone, young people, between 13 and 19, 1.8 billion, 1.8 billion. If you listen real carefully, you can hear them, pass it to me, pass it to me, pass it to me. Too often, I've heard this. I'll, I'll talk to like a pastor's convention or something, and pastors will come up, you're right, Rob. We need to reach those young people. We need to reach those millennials. Whoa, whoa. They're not young anymore. They're old. So what you're doing is you're taking somebody outside the exchange zone over here, and you're saying, you take this baton in your hand. They're like, no, thank you. I already got one. When my hand was open, you didn't care. And we're missing these guys that are back. Their hands are open. And so... My encouragement for us is let's start thinking about, i got to go back to where I was, um, these guys in the exchange zone. And so how many? Do you even know? Well, it doesn't take long to do a little research. Williamson County has 5,400 13-year-olds. Just, that's not all 13 to 19. That's just 13. Those are the most likely. And then... I know you've got several counties around here. You've got Davidson County, 7,613 year olds. You've got Rutherford County, 5,213 year olds. A total, just in this region alone, 18,213 year olds in the prime of their life. <laughs> At least primed to receive the gospel. Now, somebody's going to shove something in their hand. It might be a YouTuber, might be a blogger. They're going to shove values. They're going to shove lifestyles. They're going to shove belief systems as a baton into their hand. So these churches we found that are most remarkable, instead of going ch trying to chase kids that don't want to get caught, when they get 16, 17, hey, God loves everybody, but they're just a little bit harder. Driving, being cool, youth pastors juggling. Please come to church. Here, I'll juggle swords. Please come. Hey, I'll set myself on fire. Please come. Like, these guys don't... Like, but a 13-year-old wants to get caught, but no one cares. Let's be smart about this. Go after them while they're open. So, 18,000. Now, you don't have to give them, get them all yourself here at Conduit. You could leave, save some for other churches. Don't leave any for the enemy, though. So, growing your church young is the church of the future. Churches that don't intentionally grow themselves young will get older and older and older and then die. That's their future. But when you focus on the young generation right now, your church will thrive into the future and it'll be productive. It's not just about having people in the building 10 or 20 years from now. It's about having people in the building that are thriving spiritually, that are a light to the world. How do you do this? Well, you're measuring your average attendance every six months. And you watch the trend as they get a little bit older, a little bit younger. Doesn't matter where you're all right now. Your pastor is one of the few pastors in the world. When I said, Do you know your average age? Bam, he knows it. Just off, knows it off the top. Most pastors do not. So, one of the things we encourage people to do is like, if you're going to do this, simple QR code like this, every six months, everybody 13 years old and up, put up your phone, click it, bam.
bam, in 10 seconds, we know the average age. It's not hard. It's very simple. Growing your church young. This is the church of the future, the church that will thrive in the future, and the church that will be around in the future. Secondly, church of the future is full of problem solvers. Now, my study of trends around the world, there's all kinds of trends. I don't have time to go into all of them, but we all know technology, lots of stuff coming down the pipe, all kinds of new social media and this and that and AI now. Oh, who, who can believe what? And then there's virtual reality, you know, making this world and, you know, uh, you know, how do you compete with all the stuff? And it's creating lots of social anxiety for the young generation. So the church should be not just talking about how bad it is, but what if we were the ones that were full of solutions? So I'll give you a couple of examples. But all these trends are part of what I documented in the book that I mentioned. So again, if you are the geek kind of person, you want to know all the trends, I don't have time to get into them all right now. Things like this. Connectivity is not the same as community. So we get a lot of people connected, but they feel close to no one online. I've got a thousand friends, but I feel lonely. So this is a problem we have the answer to. Jesus gave us the solution to every problem humanity faces. So we're the solution givers. We're not the finger pointers. We're the solution givers. Here's another one, a great quote. We're lonely, but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections offer the illusions of companionship without the demands of friendship. So we've got a whole culture, and of course the young culture, immersed in this. You know, chronic loneliness, yet I shouldn't be because I got all these friends or followers or whatever. So... The church of the future is looking at these problems going, okay, how do we take Jesus' teachings and apply them to the biggest problems our culture faces? You want to you solve somebody's problem? You know who has problems? Parents who are about to have 13-year-olds. They are out of their mind. And they have no idea that the church and the Bible has the problems solved for them. It's right there in the Bible. And so we've got church in Minneapolis, the pastor came up with this idea, cellphonepermit.com. He's, he's just got approved to go on Shark Tank with it. So watch this. You know, just like you get a driver's permit and you're 15 or 16 to drive, he says, what about a cell phone permit in order to go on social media? So it's a whole training, training your young person and the parent goes through it with them. So you get a diploma, you get a permit, and you're now you're allowed to go on using safety measures so you don't get stalked and, and groomed and this kind of thing online. How smart is that? Everybody can use that, whether you're a Christian or not. We should be the solution finders. That's what entrepreneurs do, right? They find a problem, they create a solution, and they make a profit. Our profit is souls. Our profit is lives. And so, young people immersed in problems. You know, we've got young people caught in the system. Their parents jacked them up and gave them up. We've got uh, kids that are uh, turning uh, 18 every year, and they get age out of the, the system and they have nowhere to go. We have homelessness, suicide, depression. It's all around us. Instead of just watching it going, what government program? What if we're like full of solutions? Because people are hurting. Pastor Howe in Singapore talks about how he starts, he's one of the churches we studied. They start reaching all these Buddhist kids coming to Christ and the Buddhist parents are mad. So he has to solve a problem. Buddhist parents hate his guts. Thousands of kids coming to Christ. Now thousands of Buddhists hate. Now he's up against four, 5,000 years of Buddhist culture. Now I know you have problems, but having that many Buddhist parents mad at you, imagine that. So they start ideating. How do we solve this problem? Well, they, what their big challenge was the Chinese parents have a big value for education. And so the Christianity is taking the kids away from their studies these are parents that would literally tell their kids, their 15 year old kid, if you don't get into this university, I will kill myself and my blood will be on your head. It's your fault. They're telling that to a 15 year old. He's jumping out the building, killing himself or herself in those big skyscrapers in Singapore. So now these kids come to Christ. These parents are mad. They don't have enough time to study. And so the um, pastor, Pastor Howe and his team, they go, why don't we do some mentoring on how to study for these tests? Be to be wise about how you study. And by the way, teach them that their identity is in Christ, not what university they get into, what grade they get. And by the way, teach them how to have peace instead of anxiety. So now they start going to take tests. They get better grades. They get into better universities. Now Buddhist parents love the pastor, love the church. So then they go, oh, what else can we do? So they go, well, 
everybody that's got a mom, bring your mom on Mother's Day. We'll have a big banquet. We'll give them flowers. We'll celebrate the moms. We'll honor them. Have them all stand, give them flowers. Start ministering to Buddhist moms. Buddhist moms start coming to Christ. They do the same thing for Father's Day. Buddhist dads start coming to Christ. So a church full of problem solvers for, on behalf of a young generation. So Church of the future is intentionally growing themselves young, solving problems. Number three, church full of multipliers. And I only have one more after this, so don't worry. Full of multipliers. Now, this is different. This is not churches full of attendees. These are young people that are taught to multiply their faith. Not just bringing their friends, but multiply their faith. Now, if this is what an average Christian looks like, babies can't multiply. So... Asking somebody who's immature in their faith, just multiply your faith. They don't know what to do. So these guys take them on this deep dive. We call it deep dive disciple making. It looks something like this. So there's a relational component. It's contagious. It's like a sticky web of goodness. It's like a a spider web. You can get out, but it's really hard. You got to really want to because you're going to be loved so much. So so as soon as somebody brings a 13 or 14-year-old to church, all the ones that are already at church, they see them. They go, oh, come on, sit with us. No, sit with us. Oh, go to eat with us afterward. It's like contagious in terms of belonging. You don't have to believe to belong. You can belong and then begin to believe. Number two, they, uh, they make the church their spiritual home. So it's not like my parents' church. It's my church. These kids love their church. It's where I'm growing spiritually. It's where I'm connected. It's where the, the hardest years of my life, junior high, high school, and university, I found friends for life that we're going through life together with. And then number three, they take them on the steep growth curve that looks something like this. Um, they're, they're like an exponential growth spiritually so that everyone becomes a multiplier. Their church grows exponentially because it's not growing by addition. How many services can you have? It's growing by multiplication. Everybody multiplies themselves. And you're teaching them that multiplication is normal. So this is the way they think about it. This shocked me when I saw it. Now, say you have a pipeline coming out of your church off the side of the building here. Whatever's coming out, that's what your church is producing. When they're 21 years old, that's what we're giving away to the world. What does that look like? Well, so these churches have said, what if we set a goal? This is our goal. By the time they're 21, we want rare maturity of character. We want leadership prowess. We want them immersed in healthy friendships that push them to grow in their faith. We want scriptural acuity, mental fitness, critical thinking skills, multiplying lifestyle. And they're confident about their calling, but they're humble. If that's the goal, how do we get them there? Watch this. It's simple as they take that goal and then they reverse engineer it. So if that's what we want them to look like when they're 21, then they reverse engineer. What should they look like at 13 and then at 14? What should they be growing in at 15 and 16? What should they grow in all along the way? They create like a pipeline or in your vernacular, a conduit. They put them in when they're 13. They come out when they're 21. And they think at each stage, what should they be learning all along the way? They create this pipeline of young people who are learning to multiply their faith, who are discipling others while they're growing and thriving. And the pipeline gets bigger and bigger. And it's really counterintuitive because it looks like this. So you can see the normal person just comes to Christ, go to church, come to church, come to church, and then dies one day. (laughs) These guys are like, no, no, we're going deep. Trimester one, all about felt needs. What if you're lonely? What if your family's messed up? What if you're hurting somehow? What does the Bible say about that? Number two, what what about a deep dive, building your life on the things of Christ? Trimester three, even deeper, train them as leaders and with character. And so they take them on a deep dive in their faith, and they keep them growing and growing. And so this is literally what they're building. It's a factory of transformation, transforming lives. Isn't that what we're supposed to be about? And the transformation doesn't just happen when you come forward and get saved or when you come forward when you have a problem and and the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's instant transformation. But most transformation happens in process. So as 14-year-olds are discipling 13-year-olds, 16-year-olds discipling 15-year-olds, are you following me? There's transformation happening in all those small groups we're talking about. It's happening all day long, all week long. The church, Sunday mornings, Sunday afternoons come together and we celebrate what's been happening all week long. Every day, it's really, it's a transformation factory. So to help churches, we started developing trimesters, 12 weeks and 12 weeks and 12 weeks. Here's the first four we call a pathway to freedom. This one, uh, how in Jesus impacts every part of my life. That's the felt needs. Uh, number trimester two, building your whole life on a solid foundation. 
trimester three, preparing uh, for, uh, to leave maturity in the Lord, and then trimester four is resilient and preparing for the long haul so you don't give up on your faith. So let me show you what these look like. I've got a couple samples here. These, they look like books, but they're not really books. They're disguised as books. One church called it, um, it's an activity guide for you and Jesus every day. So watch what happens. Each day, verses to read, each week is a different content. There's stuff to write down. So you're interacting, you're internalizing, you're memorizing. What does that verse mean to you? Um, you're, you're reading a chapter of the Bible each day. And then there's questions at the end of each week. So those small groups we were talking about, they're talking about those questions. Hey, what do you think? What did Jesus say to you on that day? What do you think that verse means? And we're talking about it. And how can we pray for each other? Are you following me? This, this is discipleship made easy. This is like just to add water. In fact, some of you that have young people in your own home, children or high schoolers, you have nieces or nephews or grandkids, how do you disciple them? It's, you could just take a tool like this. There's other tools out there, but if you want something in your hand today, there's some out there. They literally get, get one for you, get one for them, and do it together. Because you want to write, they want to write. And at the end of each week, you don't have to teach anything. Just talk about the questions that are in there. It's very easy. Let's go on a journey together. So these are the two that we have here. We have trimester two, trimester four that, that are here today. And if you're just crazy enough to want to take somebody on a discipleship journey, and if you want to get the whole disciple-making bundle, you can get two of these and one of those and, and be on your way. So finally, number four, the last couple moments I have here. Church of the future, intentionally growing themselves young. Don't ever forget that. This is where we got to go. It's solving the problems because they'll, they're gonna, new ones will crop up. There'll be a new social media and a new situation going on. Number three, they take them on a deep dive of growth. And number four, they create an ecosystem in the church where the young people are equipped and empowered and they know that they're valued. So I could go into great detail. I just don't have time. You can see we've talked about the bottom part here. The top here is how many of you are parents with teenagers in your home right now? So we can almost tell by looking at your faces. Okay. How many of you are parents, but your kids are grown and out of the house? Okay. So this applies to both, of, both groups. Those of you that had kids out of the house, you might think, oh, they're gone. I don't have anything to do. This is Pastor Darren, Pastor Joel's job. No, because they need, that is, the young generation needs your wisdom, needs your experience, and there's roles for you to play to create this ecosystem. How to find a job, how to put a resume together, how to start a business, all kinds of things. And on the other side, for parents, these churches have created a really a whole army of, of tools for resources for parents of teenagers. How do you deal with this issue and that issue in the culture? How do you combat what the enemy's trying to do to your kids? And so this is the kind of ecosystem that we're talking with Pastor Darren. How do we build this here so that as more young people come and more parents come, parents are equipped, parents are not surprised by all the garbage the enemy is throwing at their kids. So what's the first step? Just give me two minutes to ask you to take the Joshua challenge. You know, this verse right here is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. A generation arose that did not know the Lord. It's actually in context. It happened, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. A generation were gathered to their fathers. They died, the older generation, and there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord or what he'd done for Israel. The ones that had been gathered to their fathers, that's Joshua and Caleb generation, they died. Then the next generation come and they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know anything about the miracles. How could that be? Joshua had seen tons of miracles. Killed lots of giants. The Jordan River dried up, they walked through. But it was just their parents and grandparents who'd come through the desert for 40 years. Literally, that verse was written about 27 years after Moses died. How many of you can remember 27 years ago? A whole generation rose up 27 years after Moses died. It was only 67 years after they came out of Egypt. Remember? The frogs, the gnats, the hail, the blood, all of that. Remember all that? The locusts. Just happened. And now, like, God, who? What? What's that God thing? Whatever? Miracles? What are you talking? They have no idea. That's what we have right now in America and around the world. Joshua told them, big miracle happened. The, the Jordan River dried up. They all got to walk through to go into the promised land. They said, listen, Joshua said, put a big pile of rocks there so every time you walk by, you'll remember the miracle. 
Those are the rocks they put there. They're still there today. Apparently, they were walking by those rocks and had no idea. Oh, they're rocks. I wonder what they're there for. How sad is that? So, how could that have happened? Well, apparently, whatever Moses had done for Joshua, Joshua did not do for the next generation. See, Moses spent some time with Joshua. He, Joshua went to Mount Sinai with him a couple times to get the Ten Commandments. Went into the tent of meeting where the holy cloud would come. Sometimes Joshua would hang out after Moses left. He uh, you know, fought in a war, led the war the day the sun stood still. That was Joshua leading the army there. He was around Moses all the time. So when Moses died, he's like, okay, we're in good shape. I spent the time with Joshua. I poured into him. He, he's ready. So now Joshua's leading. He's seeing lots of miracles, killing the giants, goes into the land, divides the land, everybody moves in. But apparently whatever was done for him, he didn't do to the next generation. And they rose up and they didn't know. So my encouragement is to you, do what Moses did for Joshua. Go find a Joshua. Find a Joshua at. Do what Bishop Apoku encouraged his pastors to do. He was a pastor in Ghana, Africa. He became the leader of a whole denomination called the Pentecostal Church of Ghana. He looked around. There's no young people in our church. We're going to die. About a million people come on Sunday morning to all their churches across the country, but very few young people. So he started doing seminars for the first two years as a leader of the denomination. All he did is he taught his pastors how to love young people and why. He says, just go grab a Coke with them, a coffee, once a week, once a month, and just ask them questions. Ask them, what is it like to be a teenager? What do you worry about? What do you think about? What's on your mind? What do you watch? What music do you listen to? Just find one Joshua. Just do your very best to try to see life through their eyes. Just find one. I'm asking you. Time spent listening. Maybe it's a niece or nephew. Maybe it's your own kids. Maybe it's your kids' friends. Be quick to listen. Like, just listen to them. A little bit of sacrifice. Time, money. It doesn't cost that much to get a coffee. Comfort. Decide to love them. You know, Jesus didn't say love everybody. He said, love one another. Literally, he meant love one at a time. You know how you hear somebody, I just love you all. You're like, you don't even know me, Jack. They're saying it to a crowd. But when you spend time with somebody, they feel value when you listen to them. And just listen. Let them mentor you for a minute. We call it reverse mentoring, where they're an expert on looking at life through their eyes. Try your best to see what they see, feel what they feel. Pastor Bishop Apoku knew that if he gave his pastor's to see through the eyes of young people, they would start loving for them, praying for them. And literally, they went from one million every Sunday morning to two million every Sunday morning in the span of 10 years, 750,000 of them young people. Saw a miracle right in front of their eyes. Ask them, what are your biggest fears? What about social media? What do you listen to? What do you watch? Why? What does their future look like? And just pray for them until God breaks your heart, until you feel what Jesus felt when he looked at the crowds and he felt compassion. Find out their story. Everybody's got a story. When did you move here? What about your parents? Tell me your story. So my encouragement for us, because I sense from Pastor Darren that he wants to go on this journey and get serious about this young generation here in Nashville, but it's going to take everybody. Everybody's got to love one. Everybody's got to find one and listen to them and then find out, Lord, how do you want to deploy me? Everybody can find a Joshua. Could I just encourage you? Find a Joshua. Because when you find one and you just encourage them after a year to find another, then you go find another. You can see how multiplication starts to happen. And you personally end up impacting a whole lot of lives. So I'd like to challenge us as we kind of start this journey into what we call Project 13. It's because we're training a whole generation of churches to focus on 13-year-olds, to, um, to get our eyes focused on the young generation. If you're, if you're under 20 years old, between 13 and 19 years old, would you please stand up right now, wherever you are, might be? I just want everybody to see who you are. You're here on a Sunday night. And so, yeah, give them a hand clap. Some of these guys are counting on their fingers. Am I really? That'll good. So no, don't don't sit down. Um, if you guys are standing, could could you would you mind just coming to the front for just a minute? Because I want everybody to get their eyes on you. Because we're going to have them pray for you and your generation. 
And uh, yeah, give them a big hand clap as they come. Like this. Like... How many of you that are, that are coming forward, uh, and go ahead, just look at them because I want them to see you. How many of you guys are 13? Let me see your hand if you're 13. 13-year-old one there. Okay, these guys represent the most likely to come to Christ. You know, those 18,200? No, it's okay. You can just stop. You just look that way. I know it's kind of awkward how they're looking at us. We're looking at them. This is weird, but it's going to get good. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the church of the future right here. They're not only the church of the future. They're the church of the now. But if these are the only ones in your church in 10 years, what's that church going to look like? Are you following me? So, the Joshua Challenge. If you'd say, Ron, I'll find one. Joshua, Joshua, Ed. And I'm just going to, I'm going to let them reverse mentor me. I'm going to go find one. Maybe it's somebody that lives on your street. Somebody that works at a grocery store that you always go to. Maybe it's somebody standing here that doesn't have a mom or a dad that's they're close to a grandparent. Say, so I'm going to find a Joshua. I'm going to take the Joshua Challenge. Start spending time and let God break my heart for the young generation by just getting to know them. Would you stand if that's you? If you'd, make, if you'd take that, that challenge. You don't have to find a million, just find one. Just go get, some, get a meal with them. Food is love language for the young generation. Did you figure that out yet? So, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you guys that are standing to pray out loud. In fact, you might just stretch your hands out towards these guys. They represent the young generation, these 18,000. Some of you might want to actually come forward and just pray over them. But let's pray out loud and start praying. Maybe you have somebody in mind that might be your Joshua or Joshua. Maybe not. We're going to ask God to bring one to you. So let's just lift our hands right now. Father, right now, we're asking that you would send us as loving messengers to the young generation. Those, Lord, that are so sucked into things that are meaningless and they don't even realize it. Lord, I'm praying right now that you'd give each man and woman standing a Joshua, a Joshua at. Give them somebody that would uh, spend time with them, that would listen to them, that they would listen to. Father, right now, go ahead and just ask for the person that you're thinking about. Pray for that name right now. Or say, Lord, I don't have a name. Give me a name. Give me a person. Father, right now, we're going to pray for the young people that are standing up here. Would you just lift up your voice and let's just pray together. Father, we pray that they would be on fire and close to you and passionate God seekers, Lord, that they would be a light to their generation, Lord. And Lord, would you just open up our eyes to see them the way you see them, to reach them the way you reach them, to touch them with your kingdom the way you want to touch them, Lord. Make us part of the solution, Lord, for this broken world. Make us part of the disruption, Lord, that happens for the kingdom of God right here, that when history books are written about us, they write, we were the church that rose up and that rescued the young people that were broken, that when the church was going on a downward spiral, we rose up and we rescued the next generation. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you, Lord. Amen.